Welcome to Momentum Church. I'm telling you right now, how many in this room, let me just ask y'all, have had one of those experiences where you had a specific amount? And I hate to, to praise God just about money, but we just heard this testimony. How many in the room, you've had some, some specific need, and God filled that need with the specific provision? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I can't tell you how many times. Look around the room. Just look around the room. I mean, that is testimony. God will make himself known. Amen? And I absolutely love that. And there often you'll hear people say, well, it's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. Well, if it is, God's really good at coincidences. Because I've had so many of those throughout my life. So I do want to just greet you all. I'm Ross. I'm the lead pastor here. It's exciting to be here with you today. Last week, we started a two-week series on, on the subject of righteousness and justice. And we're going to go into the second week, and, and this is it. It's just two weeks, mainly because I don't know if I could take three, okay? How many got some toes stepped on last week? Yeah, me too. I did. I did. And this is not provocative for provocative sake, Amen. This two-week series is provocative for the gospel's sake. There's nothing I love more than evangelism. I do. The Bible, Paul in the Bible said to Timothy as a pastor, he said to him, do the work of an evangelist. And I've always received that as a mandate on my life. Yes, I am a pastor, but my heart is rooted in evangelism. And I want to take away every barrier other than the barriers of sin, amen, and conviction, which you do have to get convicted and get over all that and get past sin and repent of your, your sins and come to Jesus. And that is a barrier to faith. I get it. But I don't want to ever be the one that people can't see Jesus because of me. And I don't ever want to lead a church that corporately people struggle to see Jesus because of us. Amen? If you like to be a part of a church that allows Jesus to be seen very much fully, can you give a big shout of amen? amen. All right, I believe you. Man, that's a, a chilly morning, amen, and it was still pretty darn good. Good job. If you're at home, I hope you said amen right there in your living room. And so today what I want to get into is the second part of how, kind of how we live this righteousness and justice out in our world. If you missed last week, I don't have time to recap much. I will a little, but I want you to just go back and listen to last week's teaching as well. And so I want you guys to understand the church needs to rise up as a counter-cultural body that changes people not through politics or judgment, but through the impact of the Holy Spirit on and through those who call themselves Christians. The Holy Spirit in your life should be so powerfully moving that people can see Jesus in your life. They can see Jesus in your words. They can see Jesus in your actions. They can see Jesus in your social media. Come on. Amen. And we need to be people that allow him to have his work in us. And I was telling you last week, when it comes to this subject of righteousness and justice, we see in our world social justice warriors. And I'm going to do righteousness on my right hand. Is that okay? Righteous people, all right? Or people who perceive themselves as righteous. You know, if you perceive yourself as righteous, you're usually, come on, I heard it, self-righteous. I heard it, yeah. And then on the other side in our world, we see a lot of social justice warriors. And to be honest, I don't think the self-righteous nor a good deal of the social justice warriors have it. Neither of them have it right. And we saw last week, and we'll get into that again today, a scripture that points to where we need that balance between righteousness and justice. When it comes to it, all too often, social justice warriors are dedicated to making things right in every area of life except their own hearts. And everybody in the room's like, yeah, that's my millennial child. No, 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 no. Hold on. Don't get so... Because on the self-righteous side, all too often those who see themselves as right in the eyes of God fail to see with the eyes of God the suffering in the world. So pastor wants to step on all y'all's toes, amen? 
I, I think every one of us in this world can do a better job of bringing change to this world through Jesus if we will walk out righteousness and justice. Everybody say righteousness. righteousness. Now say justice. justice. Say it again. Righteousness, righteousness. and justice. I, on, the, on the social justice side, uh, just this week I heard a story that absolutely blew my mind, and it can show how immoral thoughts can get when you forget righteousness, and you only go after what you feel is justice. You forget morality for the hearts of people and the things they're going through, and you, for, you, for, you, I'm sorry, you forget the morality and you embrace the hearts of people and what they're going through, and there's not a balance. There needs to be a balance. And I heard a story this week that blew my mind. A young woman in her 20s, a vegan, nothing wrong with vegans, amen? I think God loves them. I'm circumspect, but I think God, no, I always tease because one of my closest friends is, and, and I just like to jab at him, so, but no, that's not righteous. You're like, Ross, that's wrong. No, you're right. But this woman who's a vegan, so basically her moral cause is the idea that I can't imagine the consumption of an animal, taking the life of an animal and partaking of that, it just completely grieves my heart. That is where her morality is, and that is where her justice cause is, and it grieves her heart. And as conversation was going on with this young woman, the subject of abortion came up. And, and instantly, and listen, if you've had an abortion, our hearts are compassionate towards you. I, can t I know that's the hardest thing you've ever went through. And you look back, and it's a regret, and I get that. And God has forgiven you. Amen? And God loves you, and God has a purpose for you. Someday, <laughs> he'll look at you and say, there's your kid, there's your baby. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. But this young woman, her moral cause is lost because she was making the case that it's okay, not just in the first trimester to have abortion, not just in the second trimester to have an abortion. Now, I want you to see how absurd the world can get. Remember last week we talked about having the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man when we're making these decisions and not okay only in the, even in the third trimester. Well, pastor, what else is there? Right after the child is born, it's a parent's right. It goes from a mother's right in the first, second, and third trimester to the parent's right to take that child's life right after it comes out of the womb. This is, now I know that's not a standard position by hardly anybody, amen? I know that. But this young woman who would just be aghast at the fact that I love deer meat and harvest it myself and butcher it myself. <laughs> you know, aghast at that fact that I feed my family through the consumption of meat, <laughs> but would have a standard of her justice that the parents and their needs outweigh the life that God put into that little child, even to the point of coming out of the womb. That's straight from hell, y'all. Amen? But, but can you see there's, it's out of balance. Now let me go on the self-righteous side. Is that all right if I do that? Because I think we need to step on both toes. A couple of years ago, my heart was really, really heavy for my black friends. And as a church, I felt like it was important for us to preach toward honor to preach toward compassion, to understand the hearts of the families that are going through these things. And not just the families, but as it affects families, these things affect the whole culture in some ways amongst my black friends. And so the country is facing stories that were happening like Ahmaud Arbery's story and George Floyd's story and so many others. And all that was just weighing on my head heavy and on my heart heavy. And so I preached a sermon around that time. I preached a few sermons the last few years dealing with issues like this. 
And I preached a sermon um, during that time um, on living in such a way that we have compassion and honor to others that have been affected by racism, both individually and, yes, systemically within our country. And so I preached that. Many of you were here. You heard me preach it. Um, I get informed by a staff member. I love this. I love that people rarely reach out to me directly. You know, I, I, they just don't. Mom Blair is here. Everybody welcome Mom Blair. This is not only Corey's mama. This is my pastor's wife, my pastor. She's awesome. And um, we just love you. And it's good to have you here this week. So Dad Blair, sorry, I, we got her. She's here, you're not. So, But um, it's so good having them. But, but here's the thing. They rarely write to, to you, do they, Terry? No, they, 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 yeah. So, so the person wrote to a staff member, and the email then was shared with me because it said in it, let Ross know. And you know what I love about this? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna meddle again. Is that all right? I love when I get letters from men, okay, that, 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 I mean, how do I say? I don't wanna hurt people's feelings, but, Letters for men given to me by other people because they don't want to give it to me myself themselves. And they're big, strong, burly type guys. And I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, it just blows my mind. It's like, I mean, like, just talk to me. We'll get coffee. We'll talk. It's okay. I, I'm, I, now, I'm not going to tell you that I, I may say something like it's all right that you're wrong. You know, uh, but, but still, two guys can go toe-to-toe in debate, amen? But I guess email's safer because, you know, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry, but listen, here's what he wrote. And I don't know how he got this, but self-righteousness, I don't know how he got this, but he said, I will no longer sit and listen to someone try and put on me white guilt and blame me for white privilege. Y'all been here a long time. I, I just point us to the gospel. I point us to Jesus, to the heart of the Father. I point us to compassion and honor in situations like that. Sometimes you feel stuff because you need to feel stuff. And obviously that was the email declaring that he wouldn't be here anymore. And um, but the thing is, he didn't even hear my call to living out and lining up our hearts with the justice and the heart of God. Didn't even hear that. All I could hear was, I'm calling him out. And, and what that is, is the echo chamber was so loud in his ears by what he's seen on his social media feeds that when I say something toward it, instantly a bias comes in and I must be saying the same thing that all his friends are saying. And I'm now the enemy not a brother in the Lord calling us to the heart of God. Hmm. And what blew my mind, and this is really meddling, because we're talking about righteousness here, okay? He's up to me, upset with me on a social justice issue, and we're talking about righteous here. This fella had lived with two different women and married them quickly, living with both of them before over two and a half year time period. Call yourself righteous and call me out for something. Yeah, that's called meddling. But you need to hear it. Because sometimes the people that have the biggest voice of dissent and hide who God is are the biggest sinners in the church. Amen? Now, many of you have been with me for 15 plus years. You don't hear me talk like this very often, do you? You don't hear me call people out. You don't hear me... I, I, I was raised around preachers that was always, a man once said, a person said this, a, this said that, a person, and they're just always kind of, it's the, the type of ministry where you're always throwing people under the bus. I got too much positive stuff to say to always get into the negative, amen? But I'm getting into the negative today, because you need to hear how real it is. You need to hear how real it is. And so his moral stance had no morality in it. I couldn't hear morality in it, because I knew his lifestyle. And it didn't express Jesus. And also, his view couldn't even hear my heart and the heart of God when it concerned people who are going through hard times. And all we're doing is showing the love and honor and compassion of God. That's it. So, who's right? That young woman? That man? Neither. Let's look at Romans 89, verse 14. 
It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Righteousness and justice. I'm not going to get into teaching too much on that today. We covered that well last week, but I just want you to hear that. Righteousness and justice. You need both. You need to have the heart of God when it comes to morality. You need to have the heart of God when it comes to the needs of people. We need both represented in the church. And I want us to position us to walk in both righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. The focus of the gospel is built on the foundation of righteousness and justice. God calls out your sin. That is justice. You can't keep living the way you've always lived. You can't keep treating people the way you've always treated people. That is God's mandate upon us to walk in a just way with our fellow men. Amen? And then he calls us to moral change, and that is righteousness. You can't live like you've always lived. You can't act like you've always acted. So what God does is he calls us both to himself and to people. If you look at the Ten Commandments, they all line up with being right by God, being right within and being right with others. Every single one of those. And so rightness is this with God. Yeah, that's vertical. But the Bible, especially in Hebrew mindset, in Jewish mindset, it's not right relationship vertically. It's, and you're considered right. It's right relationship vertically and horizontally. It's righteousness and justice. It's walking correctly in both areas. And that, I mean, I believe is the gospel. It's bringing people to that place to realize God's changing me. And in that change, I'm going to see God change others in every situation I'm in. I'm going to be an emissary of who God is. And that should be our focus. And that is the focus of this platform. I'd say pulpit, but I got a little groovy stand. Okay? But that's, that's the purpose of the platform that I stand on. And um, a few... I'll say just a while back. You know, I don't want to lend anybody thinking. But again, I told you I'm a medal today. Amen? And um, so a few, a while ago, I like saying that, a while ago, okay, and um, uh, uh, um, I had a few families, three families leave the church. How many of you people leave? And, you know, it's okay. I, I think it's a good, sometimes God needs you to move to another church and vice versa. I get that. I don't think that. We're all one church. Amen? I'm not a big, 659 is the best thing in town. 659 Arnold Mill Road. I've just never been that way. We're, but, but sometimes when people leave, they have to create a context for leaving, some moral context to justify in their mind why I'm getting out of there. No, you don't. You just, if you don't like the preaching, go somewhere else. If you don't like the music, go somewhere else. If somebody was rude to you and you don't want to try to reconcile, go somewhere else in your sin. It's okay. I had the best testimony ever this morning. I was getting coffee, and I saw a guy that had visited the church, and he let me know he stayed at his church. Come on. I was so proud of him. In the first, book, the first chapter of the book we have out there called Church Hurts, we have in there, we would rather have you healed than here. And that's the truth. I, was, I told him how proud I was of him. He decided to go back and make that connection. Sometimes you need that, that, that rubbing you wrong. You need to stay right there and grow. Amen. And so I'm not against people leaving, but I just always love the moral causes. But most of the time, I don't hear the moral causes until much later, or their reason until much later. And that was one of those situations. And so the families, they had left. And um, I didn't know this until a while later, but, but somebody let me know, and I found out it was because I didn't use this platform to lean more into encouraging our people to vote for their favorite politician. I mean, more than that, they felt my talk about matters of justice sowed seeds in our people to distrust the right and worry that it would cause people to vote left. I always wondered why the left, but that's what I was told recently. And it just kind of blew my mind. Can I tell you right now, I haven't looked over my shoulder. I haven't looked you know, there's an old saying that some churches are blessed when people come to it, and some churches are blessed when they go. And that's harsh, but man, God has done rich things here, not because they left, but God's always done rich things here. 
And somehow, and I know what it is, it's the echo chamber. So much running in your head that, do you know in your brain, there is something called the reticular activating system. And what that is, that means that you make connections with stuff. This is how you can focus in life and not be, whoa. This is how when you decide, I'm going to buy me a Jeep Cherokee. You see Jeep Cherokees everywhere. They always were there, but now you're focused on. So the same RAS works when it comes to things like this. You fill your echo chamber with all these thoughts, and as soon as you hear something else, you can't hear what the person's saying. You instantly go to what you perceive they're saying. You know what they say about assumptions. We won't go there. (laughs) So it broke my heart just in the sense that they couldn't hear what I was expressing. And I believe I was expressing the heart of God to have honor and compassion and to think what we're saying and doing and how it affects other people in the middle of their pain. But Ross, these people, this and those people, there's always outliers. I get it. I understand that. You know who makes decisions based on outliers? People that can't have balance. Does that make sense? And so I could see the outliers. I could say, yeah, but this and yeah, but that. But no, right now this family's hurting. Right now my friend is hurting because of the pain in the community. And it's Jesus who would say, or God who would say, to cry with those who cry. and Laugh with those who laugh. And it was a season to cry. Not to point fingers. And so I believe they were weighed in the balances and found wanting. Just like last week we talked about that. So I'm called to lead our people in righteousness and justice. In righteousness and justice. That's the foundation of God's throne, this scripture says. The throne is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of power. I believe because we're not moving in both righteousness and justice, the church on a whole is losing the authority of its voice and power because we are losing the importance of our place in the world to be the foundation of righteousness and justice. We're losing our voice if we don't find our hands deeply rooted in the morality of God and the, ju- the righteousness of God, but also rooted in how can we bring change in our world and to our friends and how we can we connect with compassion to those going through pain and suffering and struggle. We have to keep both righteousness and justice in balance. How do we live out righteousness and justice? There's a key in this verse in how we live this out. Let's go to Psalms 89, 14 one more time. And we're going to see a key to how we live this out. How do we go forward living out righteousness and walking in justice? It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. I love that. It's like two more things. Steadfast, steadfast love and faithfulness. That's how, that's how we go. Watch what Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. In other words, this is what everybody's saying. The wise in my life are saying this. And if you're locked into social media and getting your opinion from that, and the only the TV shows you watch are your left shows or your right shows, depending on your persuasion politically, the wise men, are, they, they're the ones that think just like you, depending on your echo chamber, right? But it says, don't boast in that. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I love that. That I am the Lord. And so when you understand and know who the Lord is, here's what he practices, steadfast love. Sound like the psalm passage? Justice and righteousness in the earth. Yes, righteousness and justice going forward with steadfast love and faithfulness. And it says, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't you want to do something that delights the Lord? And when I look at this, I see it again, righteousness and justice. He says to move forward with righteousness and justice by steadfast love. When it comes to issues of justice in the world, come from a position of love. But I don't agree with those lifestyles. That's all right, because sometimes those lifestyles are outside of God's righteousness, and you can have a moral argument against the lifestyle, but you better walk it out in love. Well, you can't really love somebody unless you accept exactly what they're doing in life. That's hogwash. You can love them 
fully and still disagree with their lifestyle. Amen? Does that make sense? So you have steadfast love on this side, but then on this side, walking out righteousness, you have faithfulness. The man pointed his finger at me and said, I'm calling him white privileged and putting white guilt on him, but he had not been faithful to God for years, knowing how to live right before God and choosing to do whatever he dang well pleased anyhow. You see, we got to move forward with faithfulness and love and steadfast love. We got to move forward with righteousness and justice. Aren't you glad that God is holistic? He really is. The enemy doesn't mind how he tears you up. He just wants to find a little nick or, or, or chink in the armor and bring you down. But God's like, no, I want your whole self to be healed and complete. And I want you to move in this balance, this completeness. Thank you, Jesus. So in order to do that, we're going to have three questions. And we'll, we'll post these questions this week. I don't have these questions on the screen or in our notes today, but three questions to ask yourself to know if you are walking in steadfast love and faithfulness when it comes to righteousness and justice. First question, am I looking at this situation or person through the eyes of Jesus? Whatever is happening in the moment, am I looking at them through the eyes of Jesus? Well, Ross, you were pretty ugly about this guy over here. Yeah, and I'm looking at him through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus had no problem calling out Pharisees, amen? Now, you'll never know who that person is because I believe in justice. And I, I won't let on to who that person is. Does that make sense? But I have no problem having a moral argument against him or challenge or to look, well, Christians aren't supposed to judge. Yes, we are other Christians. Amen? That's another sermon. Number two, if I'm, if I, if, 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 uh, let me try to say this again. If someone else looked at what you were doing or saying, would he see Jesus in your words or actions? So you're looking are you looking through the eyes of Jesus? How would Jesus see it? If somebody else in the world is looking, how would they see it? And I told you a couple stories last week of how those people saw the person that would not even sit down and connect with them. And then number three, if Jesus looked at you in the middle of what you were doing or saying, would he see his heart for man in your actions? So if he's looking at you, would he? see his self in you. Because that's what evangelism is. It's the spirit at work within us that God allows himself to be seen through his church. The Bible tells us they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. But there's been a lot of tension even in the church the last few years. And the world sees it and the church has become circumspect to them. Because they see this divisiveness, and there'll always be divisiveness if there's polarity. If there's not balance, if we run to our corner with our camp and have our arguments and that's it, we're so far from the other camp. With balance, isn't that cool? Think about that. With balance, look how close I am to the other camp. Is that neat? Not a separatist, remember last week? Not a conformist, we're not going to be just like the world. But I'm in a position to transform people through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me as an evangelist. You're an evangelist, every one of us, as one who represents who Jesus is to the world. And so what I want to do, I want to take a little bit of time this morning. And, um, and last week went really long. I think it was like the second longest sermon I've ever preached in my life. This is going to be the third it's not. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to get there. I want to show you in real time in Scripture how this subject of balance with righteousness and with um, um, justice, how it played out in the early church. So what was going on in the early church? You had something that was called the diaspora, or the diaspora. And that was basically after the Babylonian exile of the Jews. Many of those Jews did not return back to Judea, to their homeland. 
Then from that exile, all the way up through the intertestamental periods, many, many Jews moved away. And so now you have Jewish people that have lived literally for centuries in other parts of the Roman Empire. Okay? And so with that, they have adapted other cultures, other customs, and they are Greek-speaking. So in other words, they call them Hellenistic Jews. They're Jewish people, but ethnically, so racially they're Jewish. Race deals with genetic similarities, okay? Ethnicity deals with cultural expression and identity that happens in in community. And so if you have communities spread out, those identities start to take on the, 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 the nature of the things around them, the people around them. And so these Hellenistic Jews are ethnically different. And God shows up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to salvation. And within the first two years of the early church, it has grown significantly there in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is going through a famine. And there are needs that need to be met, both with the Hellenistic Jews and with what's called the Hebraist. Those are the Hebrew-speaking Jews that have kept themselves closer to the original customs of those living in Judea for decades, or for really for a couple thousand years, all right? Are we all caught up? So these all get saved. Jews that are Hebraist, Jews that are Hellenistic, they all get saved. And now you have the Hellenistic, or I'm going to use the word, ready? The immigrant Jew. Just ruffle some feathers. You have the immigrant Jew that moved into Judea, and you have the Hebraist that have been in their whole lives, and they face a justice issue that could have divided the church within the first few years of the church. I don't think I had you guys stand today to honor God's word, so I'm going to have you stand for this first section of Acts chapter 6. We'll go through 1 and verse 2. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint... Now, the original language, really, it's a disputation. It's not just a complaint. It's a fight. In the original language, there's intensity in this. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebraist because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You'd be upset, too, if your old folks, the ladies, aren't getting fed in the midst of this famine, but the Hebraist older grandmas, you know, they're, they're getting taken care of. It'd be frustrating. Now, I want you to understand something in this, because it says in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. The 12 is speaking of the apostles. All of the apostles were Hebraist, okay? They were were Jewish-speaking Jews, and Aramaic. They would use both, both, some of the words they would use had an Aramaic flavor, but usually it was Hebrew or Aramaic. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You guys can go ahead and have your seat. So I want you to see here, there is a social need. How many want the Hellenistic mamas to die? No, right? We've got to do something to be sure they're taken care of. But guess what? There was a moral Cause There was a moral um, clause. There was a moral thing that the, the apostle said that could perceive very rude. And what they said was, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. In other words, this is a priority. This is a righteous act that we were doing as for the Lord. And we can't give up prayer. We can't give up preaching. We did, well, I'm sorry, we don't have the time for that. And it could have stopped there. But you know what? They didn't look at this as as an either or. They didn't look at this like, this is how it is, and you guys can find someplace else to go. They looked at it as a both and. And I think this is a great example for us to to look at, all right? As a church, we're a both and church. And I'll give you an example of the both and heart that this church has. For us as a church, we have had from the very beginning a vision for diversity, all right? We have. Now, pre-COVID, we were about 22% diverse. In Woodstock, that's crazy. That's an incredibly diverse church in Woodstock. With COVID, a lot of ours, friends that are African-American and different ones, Hispanic and so, they have decided to stay away from the church right now. And guess what? We honor that. We always have. 
And we love you there watching from home. And we've done communion with people using Zoom and various things like that. But that's a heart that we have is for diversity. Now, some would look at this as a, a, a conflict. And the world would love for us to look at this as a conflict. Is five years ago, God gave me the heart to be a supporter of first responders in the country or in the county. Our world would like us to think there's a conflict, and there is in many ways, but the church should be a bridge, amen? And so we have a heart for diversity, but we also, or diversity, but we also have a heart for blue, amen? We do, and we embrace both of those fully. Can I be honest? There's times in my mind I get nervous about that a little, and I do. I worry that the greater diverse culture in our city and our county would see our, our heart to, to, to stand in the gap for those who stand in the gap for us and see it as divisive. Why? Because the way politics have amplified so much. But I believe we can be like the early church of both and church. And so we're going to embrace diversity. Amen. But on the other side, we're going to embrace our first responding community. That, that's that balance. And, and, balance. And, and like this week, we hosted the sheriff's town hall meeting here. It was wonderful. And we just loved, and when it was over, just loved on those, 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 those um, sheriffs and, and those officials and, and had food for them. And they just lingered in this house. You know what's so good about that? They were comfortable in this house. They didn't know this house, but now they're comfortable here. And so when there's needs, guess who they'll connect to? us. But it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Amen. And so, yes, we sent a couple to the marriage retreat. We've done that before. This fall, we're sending four couples. That's what your giving does. There's so many things we get to do to, to stand in the gap for those who stand in the gap for us. But that doesn't mean we have, don't have a heart for diversity. It's like, no, it's both and not either or. So that was how these people looked at it in the early church too. We've got to take care of the word and prayer, but we also need to take care of these widows. And so verse three, therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we'll appoint to this duty. This is where deacons start to get involved, right? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And you know what? The church didn't go, how dare you? Our widows are important, apostles. You should be bringing the food to us. No, they moved in social justice, but man, the church had grown so fast, they needed to be dealing with discipleship, and they knew it. But listen, they did not ignore the complaint or dismiss it as a simple misunderstanding. No, no, no. They looked to a solution for the problem. That's what they did. They took the issue serious, and they worked to fix it, to have balance so they could stay true to what they need to stay true, righteousness, and so that the need would be met, justice. There was a balance in this. Goes on, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, not Timon, from, you know what I'm saying, and Parmenas and Nicholas. These would be very weird names to the Hebraists, very weird. Be like hearing a name like Marguerite, you know, beautiful name. But to the English ear, it's something you don't really hear that much, you know. These are weird names. Why? Because they were Hellenists. And so the apostles, they, they laid hands on them. They prayed for them. I love this. They understood that in order to reach this community, they had to be engaged in the community to do the work in the lives of those who felt on the outside. And so collectively, they reasoned together, if we're going to be engaged as the church, then we've got to figure out ways to connect with the community. I really don't believe the Hebraist woke up in the morning going, feed our widows first, not theirs. Now, I bet you anything, rumors in the Hellenistic community, I can't believe those apostles. They like their people better than our people. No, they weren't aware. Now, once they were made aware, should they have continued to not walk in justice? That would not be righteousness. I believe the Hebraists were connected in community, and they knew this, woman's, this man's grandma, and that man's grandma, and that man's grandma, and that woman's grandma. They, they knew the people that were in need, and so it was easy to facilitate food. But as soon as they were made aware that there's hurt, they showed honor and compassion. 
Amen? The church should be the same when it comes to the social justice issues of our world. As soon as we're made aware, what can we do to show honor and compassion, to show Jesus in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the suffering? And so for those early church leaders, they weren't going to allow the church to lose its foundation of righteousness and justice. Why? It's only a two-year-old church. If it would have lost the foundation then, if they would not have moved forward with faithfulness to the word and, and steadfast love for the people... You would have two whole different movements, and the church may not be what it is today. Broken within the first two years by men listening to echo chambers. I can't believe those people. No, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. You got the picture. I got to keep preaching. Just a few more minutes, and we're done. So we've got to think through these things because we're an expression of Jesus. And we have to be careful of how the gospel is being presented. We have to be careful of what we're doing and how it affects the presentation of the gospel in our life. We have to build wells, not walls, right? Let me, let, me, let me show you something I got this morning. I left my house this morning and told Amy when I went to the coffee shop, I said, man, my sermon is smoking. I didn't say that. I said, my sermon's good. I feel like there's that one thing I'm missing. I don't know what it is. I just feel like I'm missing something. I get to the coffee shop. I open my... My, my laptop, and I have a message. And in the message is a letter. And in the letter is that one thing. Come on, somebody. Amen. I love how God works. And so this is one of our church people, and this was something that had happened in her heart and then with a friend. I just want to read a couple parts of it. This was something that's happened over the past two years. She said, seeing the divide among the believers over COVID, politics, vaccines, and social media has made me lose my faith, not in God, but in my fellow believers. Now, this is a Christian losing faith, okay? And so that's, that's one thing, but it breaks my heart when it gets into unchurched people losing faith in the church because we are the Jesus that they see. And so she continued on and said, I believe that this climate the last few years has done more to hurt the Christian witness in this world than anything since the Crusades. You heard me say about the Crusades last week. You know what? I don't, I'm not, not going to say she's wrong. And so here's what she says. She says, about a year into the pandemic, I was having a discussion with a very good friend who is not a believer. We were talking about COVID and politics and the racial injustices happening in our country. And this led to a discussion about Christians and Christianity. Listen, she said, I will never be a Christian because of the way Christians have acted in the last year. Because of the things they've posted on, on social media and how they've turned a blind eye towards politics and racial injustice. Now, I'm just saying what, what this woman, who's a non-believer, what she's picked up from our community, and I'm throwing myself in there as well, okay? She said, all those things and the complete lack of care they have shown their fellow man during COVID. I can't get behind a religion where those people exist. And she put it in quotes. Ooh, so we kept her from being able to see Jesus. Those people, that's us people. The church is supposed to be built on the foundation of righteousness and justice to move with steadfast love and, and faithfulness. She can't get behind that because of the witness that we have. And she went on, and I love that our friend went on to explain to her, that's a few, that's not the church on a whole. When it's come to the, the, the genocide in Rwanda, it was the Christians were the last ones forced to leave as they took care of people. I'll tell you this, in the dark ages, when the bubonic plague was taking place, the black death, it was Christians that would hold people, that would not leave the city, but they would stay. That's part of how the church continued to grow during those seasons. They would continue to stay with those hurting, those going through the sickness and pain, and many of those died as well. It's Christians who out throughout the history and centuries have, have started the church, the, the, the hospitals and started the schools. And there's so many things that the church has done right, but people can't see it for as of recent what the church is doing wrong. 
And so she tells her all these things. Some of those I added, but, but she, she tells her that sentiment. And she said, my friend got quiet at that point and then said, Christy, are you, like, you are like an Arctic parrot. I asked her what she meant. She said she viewed Christianity as a cold, gray religion filled with cold, uncaring hypocrites. However, she said that I was like a bright, colorful parrot out of place in the cold and gray Arctic. I want you all to be bright, colorful parrots. Can everybody say Polly got a crack? No, I'm teasing. No, no. And she sent her a picture. There is an Arctic parrot in the midst of all that cold gray, this beautiful, winged, glorious bird. (laughs) And then she finally says, maybe if more Christians took the time to get to know the unbelievers around them, then they might change the world. Could we as Christians make a greater impact if we did this more often, if we shut our mouths on social media and made a phone call and went out for coffee? I didn't say that. Be mad at her. She's, I can't believe you said that. She said, isn't that crazy? It's powerful. Man. And so here's what happened in the early church when they fixed it. I love this. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase righteousness. And the number of disciples grew greatly. It multiplied in Jerusalem justice. New people coming into a new way of life. New hope, new expression, new changes, new... You see both. And even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Guys, if we'll live this out, pastors will get saved. (laughs) No, that's not what it says. But the Jewish priest... Steeped in their religion, they're seeing this, and it was attractive to them. And I'm going to finish with this last thing. We have to build wells, not walls. That's what happened that day. They didn't build a wall. They built a well of provision for those widows. It's the wall that this friend of mine's friend is complaining about. I can't buy into that because the wall the church has built It's keeping me from being able to see really who God is. I can't buy into that because the wall that the church is building, that's too high for me to climb. I I, I don't want to be on the other side of that wall. I'll just stay over here. It was in 1996 that an angry counter-protest mob who were outraged by the white supremacist protest taking place in their city of Ann Arbor, Michigan, And they begin to beat a white supremacist. Beat him with sticks, beat him with their fist, and he falls to the ground. And you know, in a fight, you don't want to go to the ground. You know? I know mixed martial arts, that's part of it, but street fight, best not go to the ground. And this man hits the ground, and I want you to see a picture. That's when, let's put it up, an 18 year old girl named Keisha Thomas sprung into action to protect with her own body the life of a man whose values went against her very being. Hmm. In that moment, she built a well of safety for that man. Not a wall, she built a well. Can you imagine that? The mob, both whites and blacks, ready to beat the tar out of this guy. And she covers him at 18 years old with her own body. In the middle of it, she knew from a righteous standpoint, this is a human creation God has made. He may be evil from a justice standpoint, but from a righteous standpoint, he's made in the image of God. And from a justice standpoint, he's evil, but from a justice standpoint, I've got to represent a righteous God to this mob, and I will cover him with my own body. I don't agree with him. I don't agree with his politics. I don't agree with his ethics. I don't agree with his actions. But I serve a righteous God, and I need to act justly. That 18-year-old girl has more chutzpah than many men in our world today. Amen? And that's my challenge. In situations, take that time and ask, how does Jesus see me in this? How am I looking at this other person? Am I looking at them through the eyes of God? How does God see me? How am I viewing God in the middle of this? And make decisions accordingly so that you can build wells, not walls. We're going to do a very practical thing. Put this next screen up. Between now and Easter, what I want you to do 
And I've done this with my staff. I'd love for you to do this with three people. Three people. I want you to put your name on something. We'll have this up on, the, on the, the, our, our page too. Write somebody's name that you know is unchurched or disconnected. They could be disconnected and be a believer and they're disconnected because of all this stuff. But write their name down and then write how you're connected. They're a friend at work. They're a friend on social media. They're however you're connected. And then how did you connect this week? And what I want you to do is I want you to be the bridge. And just, just connect. You don't have to go preaching. Just make a connection. If you're on Facebook with them, just go see what their life's up to and connect. Man, your kid is cuter than my kid. Whatever you want to say. But just connect. Be mindful to make the bridge. Amen? And to me, I believe that this is a great way for us between now and Easter to start planting seeds in those that you're going to invite. And so those that you connect with, plan to invite them for Easter. Begin to pray for them now. Begin to, to seek God now. And then I want you to ask yourself, that unchurched or dechurched friend, if they go to my Facebook, can they make a case whether or not I'm living a life of righteousness and justice? gets real then. My family member, can they make a case? Righteousness and justice. The family member that if you don't see them come to faith in Christ, they will die and go to hell. That's a responsibility, righteousness and justice. Will you embrace that responsibility? Father, in the name of Jesus, help us embrace that responsibility and live out your heart in this world. We recognize that doesn't mean anything goes. Lord God, we look to righteousness. We know how you expect us to live and how others should live. But Lord God, we also see constantly, even you sending your son Jesus was an act of bridging over to a place of justice to reach those far from you. Help us be your emissaries in this world. In your name we pray. Give God some praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.com momentumchurch.tv